Boker Tov, good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to the Aliyah Day. Glad to be with you this morning from wherever you're watching from the Fruited Plain. I'm actually uh, broadcasting this morning from beautiful Fredericksburg, Texas. My family and I have decided to take a, uh, a day or two and just kind of uh, do a quick getaway trip and, and see the hill country of Texas. So if you're in the Fredericksburg area or the Austin area, then uh, we are in your neck of the woods. And so we're glad to be with you. Baruch Hashem. We are going to be looking at the fourth Aliyah today from the Parsha Shemot, which is in the seventh chapter of the book of Exodus, which begins in, uh, looks like verse 9, verse 8 and 9 actually, verse 8. So we're, we left off with our Aliyah a couple days ago, um, looking at uh, Moses actually coming and starting the the process of redemption, of bringing the people out of Egypt. And so this Aliyah actually gets into the beginning of the uh, plagues themselves, the ten, what would become the ten plagues, starting with the plague of the Nile. But reality is, and I think this is interesting, we're going to be focused on this today um, just um, quite a bit, and that is the fact of the staff, because what actually begins the process of the plagues is the staff that Moshe cast down in front of Pharaoh, and then we have the plague of the Nile. So you could almost say that even though the staff is not a plague, but there is something significant about bringing the staff before Pharaoh. Remember what we said in Aliyah, um, I think it was in the last parasha, that, uh, that the staff is actually Yeshua. So the staff is the... A holy staff, it's a staff of God that's made out of sapphire. It is a staff from Shemayim. It's not a, a, a normal, natural staff. It was the staff that Hashem had given Adam in the Gan Eden, And that staff became the staff of Noah, and then later the staff of Abraham. And then later Yaakov uh, has the staff, and then he gives it to Yosef. And Yosef uh, takes it and, and plants it, as it were, um, or actually uh, 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 Jethro did it, planted it in his garden, and the staff became like the uh, sword of King Arthur. Anybody that could meet and move the staff was uh, obviously going to be the Redeemer. And so um, probably, I don't know, but maybe that's where the King Arthur uh, sword in the stone uh, story came from. I don't know that to be sure, but it's possible. But anyway, we look in verse 9, and it says... Um, uh, verse 8, rather, Adonai said to Moshe and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you and saying, Provide a wonder for yourself, you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, it will become a snake. And Moshe came with Aaron to Pharaoh, and they did so, as Adonai had commanded. And Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and before his servants, and he became a snake. Pharaoh, too, summoned his wise men and sorcerers, and they said, too, the necromancers of Egypt did so with their incantations. Each one cast down his staff, and they became snakes. And the staff, keyword staff, the staff of Aaron swallowed their staffs. The heart of Pharaoh was strong, and he did not heed them as Adonai had spoken. Now it says here to, the, um, to a, a rabbi monk comment to verse 9, it says, take your staff. When the time came, he writes, to prove to the Israelites the authenticity of Moshe's mission. Now, this is important because, um, as I said, we're going to be getting into the beginning of the plagues. But really, 
the authenticity of Moshe's mission is not so much the plagues as it is the staff. So it says here, when the time came to prove the Israelites to, to the Israelites, the authenticity of Moshe's mission, Moshe was performed are told to perform three miracles, but for Pharaoh, one sign was sufficient. And that was, cho- that was chosen was the miracle of changing the rod into a snake. The prophet Jeremiah wrote that the hiss of the snake represents the cry of despair which Egypt would utter on the day of destruction. This comes from Jeremiah 46, 22. So the snake represents Egypt, and Egypt represents the ultimate evil. Egypt represents sin. It, it represents the klipa. It represents the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of Hasatan, cursed be he. So, with, there is many other evil empires that have existed in the world. There's the evil empire of Greece, Rome, um, the Nazis, etc. But but the empire that God established to represent evil in its entirety is the empire of Egypt. And so the snake represents Egypt. And the hiss of the snake represents the cry of the Egyptians as they are suffering in, um, in punishment. So <clears throat> whenever the Mashiach talks about a wailing and gnashing of teeth, we should think of it like the hiss of a snake. So it's Targum Yonatan explains that Adonai told Moshe to transform his rod into a snake in order to signify that all the inhabitants of the earth would hear Egypt's cry of rage when it was struck by the plague. So, again, as I said in our last Aliyah, that this uh, scene that's being played out in Egypt that we're reading about was not just in order to free the Israelites from Mitzrayim, It wasn't just to punish um, the the Egyptians for what they had done um, to um, our people, but it was really uh, something to show the entire world that God was the only God, that not only was he the only God, but he was the creator God. Not only that, but he was, uh, since he was the creator, he had the power to manipulate uh, creation in its entirety, and that he had the power to save, and that no king, not even one who was uh, many people thought was a god. You know, um, Pharaoh thought himself to be a god. He, he thought himself to be a god-man. He, he, he believed that he was actually uh, birthed from the Nile, so to speak. Um, and, and why does he say that? So we would look at that and people would say, well, that is obviously a pagan thought, and so it's completely contrary to what Hashem would ever do. Uh, he would never have uh, himself, for instance, manifest in the form of a man because that's something that pagans do. But you have to understand something, and that is that Hasatan, cursed be he, has no creative ability in him. He has no creative ability. Hasatan is not a human. We as humans, now this is a very important point that you need to hear. We as humans, what makes us unique, really what makes us in the image of God, is that we have the ability to create, that God put within us the ability to create, to come up with new ideas and fresh ideas and create create something from elements. God creates something from nothing. We create things from the elements that God has already created. It's like the joke that I've said many, many times. There was two scientists who got together and said, you know what, we figured out how to make a man. And so they decided they would challenge God. And they said, you know, God, we decided, we figured out that we could make man. And so we decided 
that we should get together in our um, our 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 lab and make a man and challenge you because our man that we made was 100% perfect and your man had a fault. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a man and we're going to challenge you. And so God said, I'll tell you what, I'll take up in a challenge. You make a man, I'll make a man. We'll see which man is better. And so the scientists got together and said, you know what, let's do that. And so the scientists said, all we need is a little water and a little dirt. And God said, no, 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 no. Make your own water, make your own dirt. You see, so they were using God's elements to make their own man. <clears throat> but what makes us unique is we create. Angels do not create. And Hasatan has no creative ability. So therefore, if he is putting out a, some type of idea that there is some type of manifestation of God, quote unquote, on the earth, then he can only get that from something that he has seen God do. Because he only can mimic. So therefore, um, obviously, Pharaoh was not a god, um, but he thought himself to be a god. Um, and he was mimicking God himself because we know from reading Jewish literature that God has a form. Jewish literature such as the Torah, God has a form. We know that from Numbers chapter 12. Um, we know, and I know that that is contrary to a lot of Jewish thought, but the facts are the facts. Um, we also know that Memtet in uh, in Shemayim is the manifestation of Hashem, that whenever we see Memtet, we see Hashem. So uh, we know these facts to be true, and uh, therefore we have to understand that there's a reality here that uh, we need to uh, partake of. And so the staff is uh, significant in this, in this idea. So well, let's continue the, the thought here. Um, when we talk about the... Uh, the Egypt, we're saying that Egypt is in fact, uh, Egypt is, as I said, said in fact, the klipa. And so it says here, um, Rabbi Monk points out that uh, all the creatures heard this hiss of Egypt and remember that God is wanting to show the whole world that he has the power to save and he's the only redeemer. And it says the primordial snake in the garden of Egypt, or excuse me, I'm sorry, the primordial snake in the garden of Eden was the snake that's being represented here. So this is the what, what what Rabbi Monk is saying is that the snake of Mitzrayim is the primordial snake of the Garden of Eden, and that's the snake that is being punished. Now, why? Let's put all this together. So let's remember that the gematria of snake is the same gematria of Mashiach. Okay? So we have this, this, the staff itself, which is made out of sapphire, the tablets of the, that Moshe broke down that he that were crushed because of our sin of the golden calf were also made out of sa sapphire. Therefore, the staff itself represents Mashiach. The staff became a serpent, and the serpent represents uh, the klipa, represents evil, represents Mitzrayim, represents the snake and the garden. And it just so happens that the word Mashiach and the, and, and the word Nachash, serpent in Hebrew, have the same gematria. So there's a connection here. There's a connection between the snake and the, and the Mashiach. How, what's the connection? How can the Mashiach be connected to the, to the snake in the garden? Here's the answer. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, the staff was cast down and it became a serpent. 
Why? In order to undo what the serpent in the garden did. How? And this is the answer. So it says that when um, the staff was cast down, it became a serpent, and, and uh, Pharaoh mocked, <coughs> Pharaoh mocked uh, this, this uh, parlor trick, as he uh, referred to it, and he called out his uh, necromancers and his magicians. And then the Midrash says that Pharaoh even called out his young, his young children, uh, the young children of the court. And he said, look, even our little children uh, know how to do this type of uh, uh, parlor trick uh, magic stuff. And so they cast down their staves, and they also became serpents. I submit that this is representative of all the false gods, of all the false religions, of all the lies. Look, we too have gods. Look, we too have redeemers. Look, we too have saviors. It's also representative of all the false messiahs uh, that we have created or who have declared themselves to be Mashiachim, including um, the rabbis. I, some of the rabbis... Uh, maybe thought themselves to be uh, the Messiah, and others, they didn't, but their followers later thought themselves to be uh, Mashiachim. So anyway, the stabs that they cast down represents um, uh, these false gods as well. Now it says that um, that, mo that the staff of Aaron swallowed their staffs. And so the key um, statement here. Because many people say that um, the snake that Moses that came about through Moses' miracle um, swallowed up the other snakes, but really that's not it. It wasn't so much that his snake swallowed up their snakes. It wasn't that at all. In fact, it was that his staff swallowed up their snakes, their staffs. The point being is that the, he who knew no sin, Yeshua, became sin, the serpent, in order to make us the righteousness of God. So he became a serpent momentarily in order to be, have the ability to swallow up the other false gods, the other false messiahs. And so you see it's not the serpent that swallows them up, because remember the serpent represents the serpent in the garden, but rather it's the staff, it's Yeshua who swallows them up. This is the great miracle, and I submit to you that this is why Moshe was commanded to begin the entire deliverance, which came about because of the plagues, with this sign, with the, with the staff, because he was, he was making a point that ultimately the redemption is going to come, come about through Messiah. Now let's look at this. His, his opening statement, basically, with respect to the, to the redemption, was this staff. It was the bookend. It began the run of the plagues. What ended the run of the plagues? It ended with the death of the firstborn. Um, but the death of the firstborn was substituted in, in Israel, and not just for, for Israel, but also for um, uh, any anybody, uh, any Egyptian or, or non-Egyptian, anybody who who went to Goshen and got inside one of the houses and put the blood of the lamb uh, on their on their lintels of their doors, their, their, their doors, uh, they were spared. So the lamb replaced the firstborn. So you have, we always say we were released from Mitzrayim by the blood of the lamb. Ultimately, that's true. But what began the whole process? The whole process began with a divine staff. 
a divine staff began the whole process and it, the whole process ended with the blood of the lamb, a divine lamb. So I hope you see the spiritual picture because as I've said many, many times, this story of the Exodus is critical for us to understand uh, what took place and what takes place and what is taking place uh, with respect to our uh, salvation that, that has uh, transpired now. So <clears throat> it says here, moving on, uh, Adonai said to Moshe, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. So he's going to need something else. He refuses to send the people. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. Behold, he goes out to the water and you shall stand opposite him at the river's bank and the staff that was turned into a snake you shall take it in your hand. Keep in mind, as the staff is important. I believe the staff is important. Uh, every single plague that's done is done with the staff. When we cross the Red Sea, Moshe lifts up the staff. The staff is significant. So it says here, You shall say to him, Adonai, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you, saying, Send out my people that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not heeded up to now. So says Adonai, through this shall you know that I am Adonai. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I shall strike the waters that are in the river, and they shall change to blood. Notice it says strike the waters. When Moses um, got angry with the people, uh, later on in the story of, of Shemot, we learn that um, Moshe gets angry with the people because the water has stopped. The water of the well has ceased to flow. And the, many of the commentators say that the reason it stopped is because Miriam had died. Now, Miriam was uh, Moshe's big sister. She was the big prophetess of the family. She's the reason that he's alive. Really, he's, She's the reason. Miriam is the reason. Her obedience is the reason that Moshe exists, uh, as we said in the, in the uh, last week's uh, parasha. And so his big sister dies, and here he is uh, crying and weeping and mourning her and, and thinking about her legacy and thinking about everything about her. And next thing you know, the people are moaning and groaning because they don't have any water. And you can sympathize, you can empathize with Moses. He gets really angry. He's like, look, my sister is dead, and all you care about is there's no water. And so he goes out, he gets mad. But what does it say he does? God says, go and speak to the rock and bring forth water. What does Moshe do? He takes the staff and he strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. And that, unfortunately, leads to his, uh, his uh, uh, inability to go into the Holy Land, to go into the Promised Land. But in the Midrash Rabbah says that when he struck the rock, he struck it twice. The first time, the reason he, and so the question becomes, why did he strike the rock twice? And the answer is because the first time he struck it, blood came out. And the second time he struck it, water came out. So blood and water came out of the rock. Who's the rock? The rock is Yeshua. We learn that from the Midrash. We also learn that from the Apostle Shaul's writing. So blood and water came out of the rock. I could go on and on about the blood and water thing, but we'll get to that later. So here we have a striking of the water, and the water turns the blood. Okay, so there's a connection there. But it says, and, and, and by the way, blood came out of the side of Messiah, blood and water. Why? Because he got struck with what? A staff, a spear. So, <clears throat> so it says here, um, the fish 
life that is in the river shall die, and the river shall become foul, and Egypt will grow weary of trying to drink water from the river. Why? Because it wasn't just river water, it was blood. We'll learn in a second. It was anything that had water in it turned to blood. Uh, Adonai said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, over their canals, over their reservoirs, over all the gatherings of water, and they shall become blood. There shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even, the key word Egypt, even in the wooden and stone vessels. So as we're going to see here in the, in the plagues, something else I want to point out is that uh, the plagues never affect Goshen. The ne plagues never affect Goshen. Um, so what happened, and the Midrash tells us that uh, the Egyptians, they can't get water, so they have to dig wells. Uh, but as you can imagine, all the, there's, a, there's a company, there's Cairo Well Digging Firm, and they were uh, very, very busy. And so they were backed up. Um, and so um, what they did is they went to Goshen and they bought water. Uh, this is where the original price gouging came, up, came about. They bought water at, uh, at an exorbitant price. Uh, Moshe's Mayim made lots of money in those days. And um, that's what happened because the Egyptians didn't have any water. But who had water? The Israelites did. This is a spiritual picture and you need to pay attention. There is no third kingdom. There is no Messianic Gentiles that had water. Either you were Israelite or you were Egyptian. And if you were Israelite, you had water, and the plagues didn't affect you. And if you were Egyptian, they did, period. That's very important for you to understand. There's no third empire. There's no third category of people. There is no uh, little Goshen, little Goshen Catan, uh, where people could gather. You were, e you were either in one camp or you were in the other. Now, the good news is, in this good news, I pun intended, uh, anybody could could go to Goshen and say, I want to become an Israelite, I am with you guys, and they would be accepted immediately. Now, why would you not want to do that? Well, because <clears throat> everybody hates the, the, the uh, Jews. They hate shepherds. Uh, they are anti-Semitic. They punish them. Who wants to be a slave, right? Isn't this what the sages said, that the... Uh, you were to say to a, con a potential convert, hey, don't you understand that we're being persecuted all over the world and everybody hates us, everybody hates the Jews, uh, you know, you can almost be anything but a Jew and uh, otherwise everybody, and, and the person says, I know and I'm not worthy, you're to accept them immediately. Where does that come from? That comes from Egypt. So when the Egyptians came over to Goshen and said, hey, we realize that there's only one God in heaven, and the Egyptians would say, hey, don't you know we're slaves and everybody hates us? And we, they even hate our profession. Yeah, we know, and we're not worthy. We want to be with you guys. Then we were to accept them immediately. You see, you see the connection? And so, um, anyway, just understand that there was no third group. All right, So everybody wants to create a third group, and that third group is supposedly uh, not affected by the plagues, but it, we don't find it in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture is there a third group. There's only two types of people in the world. There's either Jews and Gentiles. That's it. And the Gentiles are not in the covenant. That's just what we find in scripture you in order to be in, in covenant you have to become a jew period now the good news is and again i just repeat myself because as soon as i say that somebody's going to say oh my gosh you don't believe that the gentiles could get saved that's not what i said what i said is there's only jews and gentiles the good news is please listen to this a gentile could become a jew that's the good news okay but it's important that we make that distinction lest people get confused so um, a couple other insights here. It says, um, through this, in verse 17, Hashem says, Kezot 
Through this you shall know that I am Adonai. The, the whole purpose of the plagues, well, I shouldn't say, I, I, I shouldn't say whole purpose, but one of the fundamental purposes of the plagues is to establish three truths that war against three specific lies of Egypt. And Abarbanel um, was the one who first really dove into this particular theology. And he said, uh, Rabbi Monk points out, Abarbanel states that the purpose of the ten plagues was to convince Pharaoh and the Egyptians of the three fundamental truths of Hashem. Number one, his his existence, that there is a God. Number two, his divine providence over nations and individuals. And number three, his divine omnipotence, his his all-powerful nature. So these three um, plagues uh, point this out. Now, uh, this gets a little bit uh, into more detail with respect to the Haggadah, um, which is the uh, book that we use for the Pesach Seder. But Rabbi Yehuda has uh, three acronyms for the three sets of plagues. The, 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 the plagues, the nine, there's ten plagues, but um, the, the first nine were broken into three subsets. And so the, um, the three acronyms are Dazach, Adash, and Be'achav. Dazach, Adash, and Be'achav. And each of these correspond to one of these three truths I just mentioned. Now, uh, moving on from that just for a second, I, want, I just, just reminded... Um, I, I'm going back to the staff, I forgot to mention something from the Kehol Tumash. So I mentioned that the staff became a snake and then reverted back, and that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could make, become the righteousness of God. And the purpose of becoming a snake was in order to swallow up, as it were, evil. And so I just want to point out that the Kehol Tumash and its commentary here says the, the exact same thing. It says, at any moment, God can change the serpent back to a staff, annihilating evil and making it disappear without a trace. So the purpose of the staff becoming a serpent was to remove evil from the earth, which is the reason why Mashiach, the staff of God, had to come and become evil in our place, was why to remove evil from the earth. So... um, Going back to this idea, I want to, I want to conclude uh, this morning. We leave off the Aliyah, by the way. Let me, let's go ahead and finish the Aliyah right quick uh, so we don't, uh, we don't uh, leave anything on the table. Hashem said to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, etc. Oh, we, I'm sorry, we read that part. Verse 20. Moshe and Aaron did so as Hashem had commanded, and he held the staff aloft and struck the water that was in the river in the presence of Pharaoh, in the presence of his servants, and all the water that was in the river changed to blood. The fish life that was in the river died, and the river became foul. Egypt could not drink water from the river, and the blood was throughout the land of Egypt. The necromancers of Egypt did the same by the means of their incantations. Notice that the uh, Egyptian, the, the wicked Egyptians, the uh, necromancers and so on, they could perform the same miracle, but they couldn't undo what God had done. In other words, they could change blood, I mean, excuse me, water into blood too, sure. But they couldn't change the blood back to water. That's the difference. So it says, um, So Pharaoh's heart was strong, and he did not heed them. As Hashem had spoken, Pharaoh turned away and came into his palace. He did not take this to heart either. 
all of the Egyptians dug round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink from the waters of the river. So they had, they had to dig for themselves their own wells. Seven days were completed after Hashem struck the river. And Hashem said to Moshe, Come to Pharaoh and say to him, So said Hashem, Send out my people that they may serve me. But if you refuse to send them out, behold, I shall strike your entire boundary with frogs. The river shall swarm with frogs, and they shall ascend and come into your palace, and your bedroom, and your bed, and into the house of your servants, and your people, and into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. There's frogs everywhere. Uh, can you imagine that? You open a door in the kitchen, and there's frogs leap out at you. Uh, oh yeah. And it says, in ver final, final verse of the Aliyah, verse 29, And into you, and your people, and all your ascendants, Will the frogs ascend? In other words, as you're sleeping at night, for instance, frogs are just literally covering you because they're coming unto you. Wherever you are, you're being attacked by frogs. They're like they're like all over you. Uh, that had to be just horrible. So um, one one final thing as we conclude our aliyah today, I just want to go back to the the breakdown of these um, these uh, plagues. Here are the three groups. Blood, frogs, and lice are group number one because the, blood, the, the way that they're grouped is, is that um, the, there's a, a, a plague announce, a warning or announcement of the coming plague, and then there is a statement or a lesson that, that Pharaoh was supposed to learn. Uh, but in each of the three groups, only the first plague has a lesson. So the other two plagues are part of the lesson. So in this case... Blood, frogs, and lice are lesson number one. And so uh, Moshe announces to Pharaoh the lesson of, the, of blood, which is, and, uh, blood, frogs, and lice, which is, through this you shall recognize that I am God. So that's God's existence. And then it says uh, the mixed horde or the wild beast, the epidemic of the animals and the, and the boils of the skin. The lesson is, thus you will realize that I am God in the midst of the land, that God has the power over natural, um, natural things. And then the final three is hail, locusts, and darkness. And the lesson with the hail announced was, so that you will know that there is none like me in all the world. In other words, that God is all-powerful. The sages also point out that these three elements represent the primordial elements, um, which is water, earth, and wind, and that the death of the firstborn would be representative of fire. Why? Because they don't really say why, but I submit it's because Memtet is known as the angel of fire, and because God is an all-consuming fire, and we're made in his image. End of our Aliyah today. I uh, pray that you enjoyed it and, and that you uh, learned something, and we all learned something. Baruch Hashem. We look forward to seeing everyone tomorrow morning for um, the fifth Aliyah. Until then, have a blessed and wonderful day. It's a little chilly in Texas, so stay warm and stay dry. And with God's help, we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom, shalom.